We started a new series last week called Stand. Say Stand. Stand. This is where we uh, ask the question, where do we stand or how do we stand in a culture and a society that is forever changing? Uh, it's no question that there is a lot changing in our culture. There's a lot of morality that is changing in our culture. There's a lot of areas in our, in, 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 that we see within uh, uh, our communities that are changing uh, in the culture. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is where do we stand in all that? How do we stand in the midst of a changing culture? Ephesians 6.13, I read this last week. It says, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done all everything to stand and so there's this idea that we've got to come to grips with is that every day there is a battle or a fight that is happening every morning that you open every morning that you uh, uh, wake up and you open your eyes the battle is waging on it is a battle between good and evil you you walk out your door you are faced with it you you're on the job you're faced with it you're you're in public places you are faced with it there's this battle that is going on and I presented to you last week is that if you're not in a place where you are fighting then that means that you're compromising somewhere because it's hard not to compromise if you're not fighting and so we live in a culture that is, that is waging war on, on righteousness. We live in a culture that is waging war on, on holiness and purity and, 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 and every standard that God has set. Uh, the culture is fighting back against that. And so what is our response as followers of Jesus in this changing culture? And so last week, if you recall, we, we began with Daniel chapter 1. And we learned that uh, the Israelites, Jerusalem, was uh, attacked and besieged uh, and captured and overrun by the Babylonians. And they were led by a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And so what this did was these Babylonians came, they conquered Jerusalem, and they forced the Israelites out of their homeland. They, they forced them to be exiled from their homeland. They removed them from what they were familiar with. They removed them from their safety, their security. They removed them of all that they were accustomed to. And their intent was to uh, conquer uh, Jerusalem, to conquer the Israelites, and to begin to indoctrinate them with the ways of the Babylonians. They said, we want to remove what's familiar to you out of the way. We want to remove your culture uh, from this place, and we want to fill you and indoctrinate you with our culture. We want you to begin to live like, think like, and speak like the Babylonians. And so that was their mission. That was King Nebuchadnezzar's mission. And one of the ways he did that was he, he, he gathered in some young boys, some young Hebrew boys, some Jewish boys, and his intent was that, that they would indoctrinate these young boys and that when they grow up to be people of influence, that they would begin to teach and basically preach the ways of the Babylonians. And so they brought in these boys into the king's court and they began to teach them the ways of the Babylonians. Well, we learned last week that there were a, a, a small group, a remnant of those Hebrew boys, Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We, we, we learned about these gentlemen last week, these young men. And we learned that Daniel, that even though everything around him was changing, the culture was changing, the Babylonians were coming to indoctrinate them, 
we learn that, that, that Daniel resolved within himself that he was not going to defile himself. Though, though the culture was changing around him, it was not going to allow what was on the inside of him to change. He still wanted to worship his God. He still wanted to give allegiance and show loyalty to his God, Jehovah God. He wasn't going to defile himself with what the king was offering. He wasn't going to defile himself with what the Babylonians were offering him. He was going to hold steadfast and stand up. Stand up for his God and stand up for righteousness. And what we see in that process is that God's favor was on Daniel and his friends. So much so that King Nebuchadnezzar saw it and began to show favor on them and began to elevate them and place them in, 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 in positions, uh, prestigious positions within his administration, within the king's court. And so God's favor was on Daniel and his friends. And so today we are in Daniel chapter three. Daniel chapter 3, we're going to be really introduced to another event. Maybe it's a, an event that many of you are familiar with. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, maybe it's a, a popular story you've been uh, uh, read at one time. Maybe you've been taught it during Sunday school or, or however that is for you. But if you're not familiar with it, you'll get familiar with it here uh, in a moment. But let's, let's talk about King Nebuchadnezzar for a moment. I want you to get an idea of what kind of person he was. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was one who wanted to rule by fear. Uh, he was a, a pagan king. He did not worship God. Uh, and so he wanted to rule by fear. Uh, he had a very uh, uh, brutal and also violent reputation as well. Uh, in fact, uh, when you study uh, Babylon, what you discover is that it's, it's believed that, that modern-day Babylon is, is, is located in modern-day Iraq, uh, and to kind of give you some context with that, uh, the late dictator Saddam Hussein actually fashioned himself after King Nebuchadnezzar. He, he actually believed that he was King Nebuchadnezzar reincarnated. He wanted to rebuild Babylon. He wanted to establish a, a kingdom just like King Nebuchadnezzar did. And so this just gives you an idea of, of the type of king that Nebuchadnezzar was. And so in Daniel 3... We're going to see an event that takes place where it questions us again in how will we stand. And so if you have your Bible, Daniel chapter 3, we'll begin reading at verse 1. We're going to read uh, about 12 to 13 verses here, so bear with me. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Verse 1 reads this way, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image of King, Nebuch King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. 
Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of these instruments must fall down and worship the image of gold, that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews who, have set over, who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these men were brought before the king. Let's push the pause button real, right there really quick. Uh, if you're taking notes this morning, the title of today's message is how will you stand in faith? How will you stand in faith? How will you stand in faith? Now, we see here this story. King Nebuchadnezzar creates this uh, golden statue of some sort. We don't necessarily know exactly uh, what it looked like, but we get a good idea that chances are it may have looked uh, or resembled King Nebuchadnezzar. And we get the, 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 the size and the idea of how large this uh, statue was. It was about 90 feet tall, which, give us some context, was about eight stories tall. And so he creates this, uh, he gets this large statue erected and created, and he gathers all his administration to come gather around and, and, and be a part of this dedication ceremony. And he gives this decree, when the music plays, I'm going to need you to bow down and worship this statue. And whoever does not bow down and worship the statue will immediately be thrown into the fire. And so he gives that uh, decree. He calls his dedication service. The music plays. Everybody bows down to worship this statue. Let me just kind of sidetrack here for a moment and just present to you today that, as I mentioned earlier, we're in this constant battle. There is a constant fight that is happening. And one of the battles that we are constantly in is a battle for our worship. There was a constant battle for our worship. Now, to worship simply is just a feeling or expression of reverence. It's bowing down. It is revering something. And so there is a battle for our worship. Now, the reality that we all must face is that we are all worshipers. Those of us in here are worshipers. Even people who, who don't even uh, include church as part of their lifestyle are also worshipers. The question we have to ask is, whom or what are we worshiping? Because we're always worshiping something. We're always revering something. We're always bowing down to something. Now, what you worship may not look like a statue. It may not look like a graven image. It may not be a 90-foot-tall golden statue of a king. It may not be any of those things. But there are certain things that are in your life that we bow down to. 
It may be your career. It may be your money. It may be uh, your family. It may be relationships. Whatever it may be, it may be an addiction. Whatever it is, there are always things that we are bowing down to because there's a battle for our worship. Culture is constantly trying to put things before us to bow down to. Culture will always present to us an opportunity to worship something. So there is a battle for our worship. But we must ask the question, who is it or what is it that gets our worship? And so the music plays, everybody bows down, but then the story immediately goes to these, these astrologers. They go up to the king. They say, king, oh great king, you said when the music plays, everybody must bow down and worship. But you see those Jews over there? Those Jews over there aren't worshiping. Those Jews over there aren't bowing down. I find it interesting that everybody was bowing down to worship and these astrologers were the only ones that saw these Jews. Like, I imagine these astrologers like these kids in church, whenever the pastor says, everybody bow your head and close your eyes. And these, ki- these guys are probably like with one eye open looking around. And then you go around and you catch that one other person that has their eyes open too. And it gets really awkward, really strange. They made eye contact with the Jews. Well, so, so these astrologers are like, king, these Jews aren't obeying. And these astrologers already had an issue with these Jews, because there was a lot of jealousy against these Jewish, these Jewish men. Because they, for one, they were foreigners who, who had a lot of favor with the king, which was really the favor of God. And so they didn't like the fact that these Jews, these foreigners were, were getting these, these prestigious positions within the king's court, within the king's administration. And so they were, they were down to do whatever they could to have these Jews destroyed. And so they call out these Jews, Verse 12, but there are some Jews who pay no attention to you. They are disobeying you. And this was their chance to have them destroyed. And what happens? Well, King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to call him King Neb because that's just a long name. King Neb, he was upset. He was furious with rage. And so he summoned these Jewish men. He calls them forward. I think it's pretty cool that even as furious as he was, I mean, the decree was that if anybody didn't bow down and worship, they were immediately thrown into the fire. Well, here we see the favor of God on their lives where even Nebuchadnezzar doesn't even do that immediately. He gives them another opportunity. He gives them another chance. He's like, hey, fellas, what's going on? You heard the order, right? You heard the decree. As soon as the music plays, you're supposed to be bowing down and worshiping this statue. But if you don't, you'll be thrown into the fire. And so he gives them this, uh, another opportunity, another chance to do what is right. And here we see the response of these Jewish folks. And what I want to do in our time, in the remainder of our time here, I want to give us really three qualities of what it looks like to stand in faith. Three qualities of what it looks like to stand in faith. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he gives them this decree again. 
He says, remember, if you don't bow down and worship, you're going to be thrown into the fire. And he even threatens them even further than that. In verse 15, he goes, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So he's threatening them. What God is going to rescue you? What God is going to save you from my hand if you choose to disobey? Let's look at their response. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. We don't need to defend ourselves before you. We're not afraid of you. And what does that show us in regards to qualities of standing in faith? Number one, write this down. Faith obeys God instead of man. Faith obeys God instead of man. Faith in Jesus means we don't have to fear man. Faith in Jesus, faith in God says we don't have to fear what man can do to us. So what we see here is these these Jewish men, they they are really acting in a form of civil disobedience. And really, this is the only time even for us as as in modern day times, in modern times, where where we can disobey the government. Civil disobedience. We can disobey the government whenever there is a, a decree that the government gives out. There is a law that the government gives out that violates the standards of God. That is the only time we can disobey the government. So anytime. Anytime the government tells you to do something that violates the standards of God, you have a right to say, nope, I'm not doing that. You have a right to do that. And so we see these, these, these Jews, they are, they are operating in that right to say, nope, everything else we can obey, everything else we can do, but this is a violation. This is a violation of my allegiance to my God. This is a violation of allegiance to whom I will worship. See, Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't just want to be the only, uh, just extremely powerful governing authority. He, he also, in this moment, what we see here in his, in his kind of narcissistic way, he's, he's trying to be the supreme religious authority, spiritual authority. In other words, not only do I want you to fear me and obey me, I want you to worship me too. And these Jews were like, no, that's not happening. Because I would much rather obey God and please God rather than you. And so they said, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Like, we don't even really need to say anymore. We're just not going to do it. And then they go on in their response, verse 17. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve, is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. So now we see them stepping into this, this, this idea that, hey, man, I don't have to fear you. I don't have to defend myself to you. Uh, my, my faith in God causes me to obey him rather than you. And another thing we need to understand in a quality of standing in faith, number two, write this down. Faith believes in spite of what it sees. Faith believes in spite of what it sees. The situation looks pretty bleak. It looks pretty bad. It looks pretty dark. The furnace is right there. 
In the natural, there's really no way that it looks like they're escaping this. The king is very upset. The king has the ability to do whatever he wants to do. Who are we? But they trusted their God. If we're thrown into the furnace, if you choose to punish us this way, the God we serve is able. The God we serve is able to deliver us. The God we serve is able to deliver us from, this, from your majesty's hand. The, the, the God we serve will, will bring us out. The God we serve will rescue us. Why? Because my faith in him believes in spite of what I see. And look, let me just say that even in the season that we're living in right now, I can look around in our culture. I can look around the, the world right now. And, and what I see, I don't see, uh, I don't really see a light at the end of the tunnel in the natural. I really don't. All I see is a lot of trouble. I see a lot of confusion. I see a lot of uncertainty. It's hard for us to even look at our leaders and be like, yes, that's them. They're the ones that are going to lead the charge. It's hard to even look at them and be like, I don't know what to think about you. Because at the end of the day, it's just a man. At the end of the day, it's just a woman. At the end of the day, these are, these are fallible people who make mistakes. These are fallible people who don't have all knowledge. And so at the end of the day, I can't fully put my trust in a person. Because I look around and I see a pandemic going on. I see civil unrest that is happening. I see financial issues that are happening all around us. I was having a conversation with someone the other day and, and we were talking and it was like in the middle of the conversation we were just kind of came to the reality that one thing we don't really hear enough of but that's going on right now is the, is the amount of mental distress that is falling on people right now. I, mean, I don't know if you are aware of this or not, but suicide rates are like skyrocketing right now. You don't hear about it because that's not, that's not the headline. There are a lot of things that are giving us headlines right now. There are a lot of things that are vying for our attention, but, but suicide rates are, are going up uh, really high right now because there are people, as I said earlier, that are, that are in financial strains. There are people that are losing their jobs. There are people that don't see uh, what, what, the, what the outcome is going to be on this. They, there are people that can't even go out in public now because they're afraid of, 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 of contracting a, a virus. They're, do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? Do I go into this store? Do I go to that store? Do I go to church? Do I not go to church? What do I do? do. I'm so confused. That's enough to make anybody mentally strained. But as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, we walk or should walk with a different distinction. We should, just like these gentlemen, say, yeah, even if we get thrown into the furnace, yeah, even though we're walking in the middle of a pandemic, yes, even though we are living in the middle of civil unrest, I still serve a God 
who is more than able to deliver me. I still serve a God that is more than able to provide for me. I may lose my job. I may get to a place where I don't know how next week's paycheck is coming. I may even contract COVID. No. But I still serve a God that is able to deliver me. Faith believes in spite of what it sees. See, if I, if I constantly go by what I see, then it's no wonder that I would be distressed. If I constantly go by what I see, and that's why I encourage all of you, man, take a break from social media, please. Take a break from TV. Take a break from all these news cycles. Take a break. Turn it off. Spend a day, spend a week without it. Trust me, it'll be the best thing you ever do. And why don't you replace it with the goodness of God? Why don't you replace all that with what God has already done for you? Why don't you replace all that with the the good works that God has already shown you? Why don't you replace all that recounting all the blessings that God has blessed you with? Just fill your spirit up. Because when you do, then you come to a place where you're like, yes, my faith is in, is in what it believes in spite of what it sees. I don't have to be discouraged by what I see around me because I know there is a God who will deliver me. How do you stand in faith? If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Let's continue reading. Verse 18. Now, this is going to be hard for a lot of us. Verse 18, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. But even if he does not. Wait a second. You just said that we serve a God that can deliver us. You just said that we serve a God that can save us, that can bring us out. But see, the fact that God can deliver them, the fact that God can save them, that wasn't the reason why they're worshiping him. Because they say just in the next verse, but even if he doesn't, ah, we're still not going to bow down to your statue we're still going to worship our God. Why? Because we don't worship for what he can do for us. We worship him for who he is. Can you live in the realm of even if he does not? Like, would you still say God is good if he doesn't come through for you the way that you want him to? Would you still say he is good if you aren't delivered from that furnace? Would you still say he is good if you don't receive your healing like you want him to? Would you still say he is good if he doesn't come through for you financially like you really wish he would? Think about that question for a moment. 
Are you willing to live in the even if he does not? Are you willing to say that he is still worthy of my worship and praise if he doesn't come through for me? Because as I say all the time, and I will repeat this time and time again, I don't care if you're sick of it. God's already done enough. God has already solved the biggest problem you would ever have in life. He made you right with him. And he did that through Jesus. Will we be okay? And will we be satisfied if that's the only thing he ever does for us? And hopefully you, you fall on the side of, yes, I would. Because I realize that my salvation and my eternal security in him outweighs any other blessing I could ever receive from him. God wouldn't have to bless me financially. God wouldn't have to give me the career of my dreams. God wouldn't have to give me the relationship of my dreams. God wouldn't have to do anything else for me because he's already done enough. He's saved us. He's already delivered us. And so what we see here is these, 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 these Jews, they're like, man, I, I know God is able, able to deliver us. I know God is able to bring us out. But even if he does not, it's not going to stop my worship to him. Point number three, write this down. Because faithful obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is God's. We're not responsible for the outcome. We're just responsible for our obedience. There's a battle for your worship. There's a battle and fight for your allegiance. Will you faithfully worship and faithfully obey, which is our right responsibility, and leave the outcome to God? In other words, God, I'm still going to worship you even if you don't come through for me. God, I'm still going to love you even if you don't bless me financially. God, I'm still going to come through for you even if I don't receive the healing that I've been praying for in this time. Now look, you may say, well then what's the point of praying? Why pray for a miracle? Why pray for healing? No, we still continue praying. You still continue believing for your miracle. But what I am saying is this. His worthiness of our worship is not contingent on if you get the miracle or not. He is worthy if you don't get the miracle. He's worthy if you don't get the blessing. Because he's already done enough. Everything else is just added benefits. Every other blessing we receive, every other healing that we receive, every other miracle that we receive, these are just added benefits. He doesn't have to do any of those things. But I'm grateful that he chooses to. I'm grateful that we serve a God that can still bless us financially. I'm grateful that we, can, that we do serve a God that can miraculously heal you. I'm grateful that we serve a God that it does continue to remain faithful to us. 
But I don't worship him because of those things. I worship him because he's worthy. But even if he does not, I'm still not going to bow down to this statue. I'm still not going to worship this man-made God that you created. But we want you to know, like, get this straight, Neb. Your majesty, the we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, this made Neb furious. So furious. He said, we're going to throw them in the furnace, but don't just leave it at the current, current temperature. Man, let's heat these things up seven times hotter. Like he's furious. He's in a rage. And so he commanded them to heat it up seven times hotter. And he commanded his strongest soldiers to tie up and bind these, these Hebrew boys. The furnace was so hot that when they got close to the opening to throw them in, the soldiers got burned up. That's how hot it was. And so it's not looking too good for them. Wait a second, God, I, I thought you were a God that can deliver them. I thought you were a God that would come through for them. But we see here the situation's getting a little bleak, it's getting a little dark, and these soldiers throw these Jews into this fiery furnace. So hot that the soldiers even burn up and die. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Wait, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Like, can you just imagine, like, just picture this scene for a moment. They threw these three, three men into this furnace. Nebuchadnezzar's in a place where he can see what's going on in the furnace. And he leaps up in amazement. He's like, wait, something's just not right here. We, we threw in three. Three, didn't we? They're like, yes, yes, king, only three, only three. Then why do I see a fourth? And, and there's something about this fourth man that looks very, very unique. In fact, I don't even know if he's a man at all. There is something supernatural about him. In fact, he looks like the sons of the gods. See, many theologians and commentators will, will, will call this a, a, a Christophany, where, where, it's where, where Jesus makes his appearance throughout the Old Testament. And many believe that, that this was Jesus, that Jesus was the fourth man with these three Hebrew boys in this fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar had no concept of Jesus. He didn't know who Jesus was, didn't know what Jesus would look like. And so it made sense for him to be like, yo, there's something angelic, something supernatural about this fourth man. And I love the fact that, it, uh, that the Bible uh, gets in detail and says that they were walking around the furnace unbound. Like walking around, like what were they doing? Like, yo, this is amazing. Look, I'm not even burning up. This is so cool, man. Look, like what were they thinking? What were they doing? All walking around together. 
And Nebuchadnezzar is losing his mind. He's losing his mind. Verse 27. And the satraps, the prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. The only thing that burned up is what had them bound. It's the only thing that burned up. It's the only thing that went away is what had them bound. And I'm here to tell you this morning that when we stand in faith in the midst of all that is happening right now, there should be a certain distinction about us. Like, we should not respond to what is going on in the world the same way everybody else is. There should be a distinction. There should be something different about us. When we talk about all that's going on in the world today, when we talk about the pandemic, when we talk about the civil unrest, when we talk about this political fiasco we're in, when we talk about all that, when you're on the job, wherever you're at, your conversation should be different. Because we don't think like the world thinks. We don't move like the world moves. We're different. We're followers of Jesus. And so when everybody else is walking around with uncertainty, when everybody else is walking around discouraged and distressed, we could be like, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, this is, this is pretty serious stuff. But you know what? I serve a God that can deliver me. I serve a God that can bring me out. I serve a God that can take care of me. But even if he doesn't, he still deserves all my worship and praise. He still deserves it. And I don't know where you land in all of this or how you feel about all that's going on right now. But if you are responding the same way the world does, then you've lost your distinction. We're supposed to be men and women of faith. We're supposed to stand in faith. And so my prayer for all of us is that we come to a place where we can live in that even if he does not, I'm still going to worship him. Even if I do get thrown into the furnace, God is still more than able to deliver me. That's the God that we serve. Now get this. Verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Can I tell you something this morning? The world is watching you. They're watching you. They are watching your response to all that's going on right now. And if you're responding the same way, what makes you any different? This got Nebuchadnezzar to take his eyes off his own statue 
and look to the God of the Jews. Whoa, wait a second. These, these guys were willing to disobey me. These guys were willing to lose their lives for their God, and their God came through for them. What? Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't really know him, but there is something about him that I need to know. And my hope and my prayer is that when people see your life and they see your response to all that's going on right now, when they see you walking through the furnace, that they see you with the fourth man. And that they say, oh my gosh, I don't know and I can't explain it, but praise be to the God of Dennis. Praise be to the God of Ivory. Praise be to the God of Nancy. Praise be to this God, because there's something about him I can't explain. But that only happens when we stand in faith. See, if, we, if, we, if we're buckling down like everybody else, and we, we start losing hope like everybody else, then your coworkers, your friends, your families who don't know Jesus, who will they turn to? Who will they go to in the middle of all this? Who, who, who will be their, their, their beacon of hope? Who will be their, their, their beacon of light in the middle of all this darkness? And my hope is, is that that would be you and that that would be me. And that there would be a certain distinction about my life and a certain distinction about your life that says, man, there's just something about them. I don't know what it is. I, they, the, they, they talk about God all the time. They talk about church all the time. talk about Jesus all the time. And I didn't really get it. But, but now that we're in the middle of all this mess and pandemic and all this stuff, man, there was just something about their life that I'm attached to and that I want to know more of. And that only happens when we stand in faith. Because see, a, 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 a tested faith is a faith that can be trusted. A, a, a tested faith. See, see, we all say we have faith, but, but the question is, do we have tested faith? See, it's easy to sit in this setting this morning and say, yeah, I got faith. I'll stand arms high. I'll stand, I'll sing, I'll worship, I'll do all. It's easy to do that in this setting because we're all thinking the same. We're all in this together. We're like, yeah, let's do that. But when we're out there, when the world has no concept or clue of what you're doing, when the world will even look at you crazy, when the world will even laugh at you, when they would make fun of you, when they would try to demean you. See, out there is where it counts because that's where your faith is tested. There's no faith testing in here. This is the, this is the house of faith. This is where we get encouraged. This is where we get built up. So that when we do go out there and our faith is tested, 
the world will see and know that we serve a God that is more than able to deliver us and save us and bring us out of the furnace. Amen. Let's stand to our feet.